Welcome, friends, to our second season of the Reynolds Rap Podcast. I'm your host, Ray Reynolds, and this podcast is meant to encourage and bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus. If you haven't already done it, please hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. And also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, and online at rayreynoldsrap.com. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Hey there, rappers. Hope you're having a great day today. Boy, I'll tell you what, we've really got a a great one today. I think we do. (laughs) I, um, in preparation for our time together today, I I wrote down several things that I'd like to talk about. I'm going to try to narrow it down to about four things. But uh, if you can see the title of today's uh, podcast, then you know we're talking about isms, isms in the church. Uh, might be surprised too in where we're going with this particular podcast and the direction. Uh, if you're like me, you probably follow a lot of things on in culture and in pop culture and what's going on in the world. In fact, I oftentimes will just Google, you know, today's trends uh, to see what what's what people are googling, what people are are hashtagging or that they're putting out there. It helps me in pre- preparing sermons and classes and trying to relate to especially young people, millennials, to see what basically what's out there. And I know that some of that is predetermined and planned and organized by media, but it does help me to kind of see the direction of things each day and each week. And, you know, there are a lot of common isms that we're familiar with. Some are political isms. You know, we'll talk about uh, the different different types of political groups, maybe like, you know, even like communism, socialism will come up. There are other cultural isms that that may come up, and today a big thing is social justice isms. Um, you know, we talk about racism and things like that, and prejudice. And then there are uh, systemic isms, things that are going on in our culture that deal with sickness or deal with um, various problems we're facing in society. And then there are philosophical isms. Now, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna get too deep into that because we're just at the tip of the iceberg when it comes to some of these isms that we face in the world. But the, the fact is that isms are often seen as something that's destructive. You know, isms are seen as, like for instance, when it comes to religion, we'll, we'll hear of uh, conservatism, you know, like it's a bad thing, or liberalism, legalism. We'll hear those terms. So you, you automatically, even when, when you know that the conversation may not necessarily be geared negatively, when there's an ism at the end, uh, it, it just kind of grabs your attention. In fact, there was a lectureship back several years ago. I have the book. It's called Dangerous Isms in the Church. And it's like, ooh, isms, you know. But when it comes to like prejudice, discrimination, they'll, they'll use the term ism to kind of give you kind of the attribute of what's going on. It could be a class uh, principles. It could be a system of beliefs. And you can go online and see lots of different isms. In fact, there's a website that is completely full of the latest isms that are out there. And I just I find that absolutely fascinating. But anyways, I digress. Today we're going to talk about some of the things that we see regarding the church, specifically what people see in the lives of believers in Christ, isms that are dangerous, that I feel like need to be addressed and hopefully can be erased from our story as where we're trying to be 
faithful Christians and being an example of Jesus in the world and kind of shining our light. Um, when it comes to isms in the church, people oftentimes see patterns among believers. Uh, I, I preached a lesson one time about um, what is the church for, and and I what I was talking about was there are a lot of things that people know about the church about what we're against, you know, what we do not stand for. If you were to ask a person who's a non-believer, what does what does this church stand for? They they're going to talk about the things that we do not like. They're going to talk about the negative part of it. You know, uh, when it comes to the church, they'll say, oh, those are the people that you know, think they're the only ones going to heaven. You know, they're the ones that think it's wrong to do this and wrong to do that. And they don't like dancing and they don't like the lottery and they don't like alcohol and they don't like. So they know the things that we're against. So when you hear that list of negative things, and we may be in agreement, we may be in total agreement that those are things that we're against that we don't like. But I'm afraid that we have a history of being negative and critical to the point that people remember what we're against and they forget what we're for. Does that make sense? So with that being said, I'm confident that when I look at the words of Jesus and I look at the example of Jesus, he wanted people to remember his legacy for what he was for. That's why the church is established. That's why we as Christians still bear his name and work uh, you know, teach the same doctrine. We 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 follow the same pattern. We we're supposed to be judged by his words. So, I think that we we forget from time to time who our real enemy is, and we tend to we tend to focus on the things that we don't like, the things that that God says not to do. We had a conversation with our teenagers last week in class on Wednesday night about uh, we're doing some tough topics, really tough, and we dealt with homosexuality. And um, this new trend of, of being bisexual or transsexual or pansexual or gender fluid. And these are things that our kids are concerned about, that they're talking about. And how the church approaches this is really critical for where we're going in the future as believers, you know, as, as a church as a whole. Where, where's the movement headed? Um, because our culture is determining what they believe to be right and wrong. So what we're really fighting here is culture. So culture determines what's right and wrong. The church then has to respond to it. And if we're not careful, uh, and I and I know, let me say this, I know we need to stand for what's right, but we can teach the truth in love. Um, if we're not careful, we can really turn people away and give a bad taste in the mouths of of, of non-believers. And I know we got to remove ourselves from, from our comfort zones for just a minute to look at these things. But what do our neighbors see? And they see it as the, the reality of what the church is and what Christians are about. So, you know, and again, I'm not being critical. I'm just pointing out what I see and hear from people that are, are non-believers. So if you just bear with me for just a minute, let me let me focus on this. And I think, I think too, I, I was reading Philippians 2 this morning. And in fact, on the uh, devotional, the Reynolds Rap devotional I did on Philippians 2, 3, but if you keep on going down there in verses 14 through 16, Paul says, you need to do everything without complaining and arguing. And he says, then you'll be innocent and without fault. You'll be without wrong, you know, and and you have to remember that you're living in a crooked and perverse or difficult generation. Uh, I think the New Century Version says there are mean people all around you, <laughs> you know, that you've got to shine like stars in a dark world. And in order to do that, you have to remember that the teaching that you offer gives life. 
So when Christ comes again, he says, you know, I'm, I'm just glad my, my work's not going to be wasted because I've run my race and I've won my race and I'm doing exactly what I've been called to do. So Paul says that that's the same thing you need to do as a church in Philippi. So let me run through these just real quickly. Just a few. I know there's so many. But let me start with crit- a criticism. That is an ism that is killing the church and it's killing the image of the church. And we have this attitude sometimes, well, that's not the way you should do it. You should do it this way. You can't do it that way. You got to do it my way. And it's this selfish ambition, which go back to verse three uh, in Philippians two. I love Paul's point here. He says, you got to, you got to learn to do stuff without complaining and arguing about it. Go back to the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, blessed are the peacemakers. Well, who are the peacemakers? That's supposed to be the church. I know that's a neat little word and it's a revolutionary concept to, to people today, because we're like peacemakers, what's that? We, well, a peacemaker is someone, Matthew 5, 9, that makes peace. And that's who Christians are supposed to be. We're, we're, we're not supposed to be makers of conflict or creators of conflict or lovers of conflict for that matter. Makers of peace. What does it mean to be a maker of peace? Well, when people think about Christians, do they think about people that are makers of peace? Or do they think about people out with signs and, and picketing and 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 trying to close down businesses and uh, out there speaking ill about anyone who doesn't believe what they believe is that the image that people have now i understand that again we've got to teach the truth we've got to we've got to practice things that are right we've got to hold to the doctrine of the new testament and i believe we have to follow the pattern of the new testament church but i've actually had people tell me they do not go to church because they know that there are critics there of sinners that there are people who are going to look down on them, that there are going to be people who will not welcome them. And I, I have to say that's got to change. That has got to change. We have become a distraction. And instead of being light bearers, we're light preservers. You know, we kind of like, we, we, we shine a little light here and shine a little light there, but we don't want to shine a light too far because then people might come in that we don't agree with or they don't look like us. They don't sound like us. And that's what's keeping people away from Jesus is not the image of Christ. It's not the Bible. It's believers that are keeping people from being drawn to the truth. God has given us the instruction manual. He's given us the scriptures. I mean, the Bible's God-breathed. And when someone needs to, to change their life to do better, the Bible gives that instruction. And I think we might do a little bit better, you know, again, with, with trying to erase this idea of criticism in the church. Instead of us trying to preach and teach to people, we need to just give them instruction through Scripture. Give them Bible verses. Mark them in, their, in the Bible. Say so they don't have a Bible study about it. And, and one thing, too, is to be real with people and say, hey, look, these are things that I've done. Here's where I have been. Instead of starting off with all the things you need to do to be saved, talk about how, how, how you were saved. And that's going to be clearer, you know. I, I'm telling you, I get I get a lot of emails and calls and messages from people that disagree with me on things, you know. Not so much as as it has in the past, but people be like, oh, I don't like this and I don't like that. And these are these are brothers and sisters that I love and I hold dear. And we may disagree on a matter of opinion. We may disagree on a particular doctrine or something that maybe they learned in a denominational church or that they learned growing up. And and so. Instead of being extremely harsh about it and be like, oh, well, you're just, you know, very opinionated and I just totally disagree with you and I can't fellowship with you and I can't go to church with you and I, you know, I don't even want to talk to you anymore. Uh, what we need to do is we need to sit down with an open Bible and have a good, 
you know, honest discussion about it. I mean, where's the golden rule when it comes to Christianity? If I if I want people to be critical to me, I just need to keep being a critic. If Jesus says, you know, if you want you want to be judged harshly, you just keep judging other people harshly. Luke six thirty six, show mercy as your father shows mercy. Jesus says multiple times, forgive others if you want to be forgiven. We got to learn to live a critic free life. Constructive criticism, people are always like, oh yeah, well I'm I'm just offering some constructive criticism. Okay, well where's the construction in it? I see the criticism, but where's the construction in it? It ends up being about complaining and arguing, which Paul says clearly in Philippians two fourteen, don't. Do it. Look, if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all. My mom taught me that when I was a young child. It is so hard to practice this. But if you're going to make peace, if you're going to keep conflict to, a, to an all-time low, we've got to stop being so critical. Christians need to understand we are going to have differences with people in the world. We are going to have some major conflicts when it comes to culture. But I don't have to be harsh and critical about every little thing. I don't have to post every time I disagree with something on social media. Just take a breath. Jesus spent most of his ministry with the poor and the sick and the hurting, and he was seen as a person of compassion. Yes, he did a lot of teaching, and we have some of that in the New Testament. But most of Jesus' ministry was not done in a pulpit. His ministry was out with people. He was not critical and harsh with people. He was loving and accepting, and that's what draws people. You can win them with honey more than you can with vinegar. So, Criticism is one thing. Another one is elitism, and I think that's a big thing in the church. I think I've talked about this in a previous podcast. It's just we we have this image of perfection. People think, well, the church is full of perfect people. Well, the church is not full of perfect people. We're imperfect people. There's only one person that's perfect that's ever lived, and that's Jesus Christ. And we're making a mistake trying to to tell people we're right, you're wrong, you know we've got we've got everything right, and and you and you need to make mis- you need to make changes, you know you need to be better. That elitism, that mindset, <laughs> we've got to get rid of that. Remember when your kids, maybe maybe you're older and you've got children, they get out of the house and they start making some major decisions that you just really don't think are right. You say, oh, well, you shouldn't manage your money like that, or you shouldn't have bought that car, or you shouldn't have dropped out of those classes in college, or you should be actually using your degree, or you shouldn't be dating that person. And you you want to kind of like helicopter parent them even after they're out of the house. There are times I've got one that's that's getting ready to turn 18, and i got another one that's in his early 20s and married with a kid and you know and you and you you listen to them and you say one's going into college one's you know married and and has a job and you're and you're thinking you see things and you're like I I wish that you wouldn't do that you know like I, I if I were you I wouldn't at some point you kind of have to allow them to live their life and say you're going to learn from your mistakes I can't I can I really can't teach you anymore if you're not going to be mentored and led you're going to have to make those mistakes and in the church that's something really we we struggle with because we do we do know what is right we we've read the bible our problem is how we show it by our example instead of teaching it and preaching it to a point that you you really just beat people over the head with it 
Paul talks about here being innocent. He talks about being without fault. He talks about people that are, you know, or you erase the pride from the situation. Go back to look at Ecclesiastes. You know, vanity, vanity. Everything's vanity. That's the way it is in the world. People, they just want what they want. And it's not supposed to be that way in the church. I don't want what I want. I want what Jesus wants. I want what God wants. Or at least I should, right? So we've got to have love. We've got to have compassion. We've got to have this idea of this elitism and this perfectionism. That's another one. That's another ism. Perfectionism. We, we, we are all about getting everything exactly right. And I understand. I want, look, I believe in following New Testament Christianity. There are certain things on the first day of the week I wouldn't go to a church unless they did it. There are certain things that I just don't do in my life and I avoid and people don't understand why I don't give into the why I don't watch these certain shows and why I don't listen to this certain music and why I don't have this certain lifestyle. You know, even my friends and family members, they're why don't you do this? Why don't why don't you is this wrong? Is it I, I have my opinions. But perfectionism is killing us because we're 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 so emphasizing just so overwhelmingly You've got to do everything exactly right. Look, there's no room for error. It's black or it's white. And I understand there's not a lot of gray area when it comes. And I'm talking about doctrine now. I'm talking about the way we operate, the way we do things, the way we do business as a church, the way we reach people, the things we're doing in our community. We're, if you don't think, if you do not think that we are obsessed with perfectionism in the church, how many times have have you sat in a meeting Maybe it's a, a VBS meeting or an education meeting or an elders meeting, deacons meeting, whatever the case may be. And an idea comes up and somebody says, hey, what if we did such and such? And somebody responds with, well, we couldn't do that because it would look bad or it would it would sound bad. We're, we're automatically not concerned about anything more than the image. We can't – I had a church one time that um, we were uh, – they were going to pave the parking lot at the building. And we had paved it, or we had patch, patched it just a couple years before. I was there for a few years. We had patched it a few years before, <clears throat> but it really needed some major work. There was people in the city that were parking on one end of the parking lot, and it desperately needed to be redone. And so one of the men in the meeting said, we can't do that. We can't pave the parking lot. I said, Why not? We got potholes. We got the, it needs to be restriped. They said, we can't because it'll, it, the people will think we have more money than we do. If we're going to go and spend this much money repaving the parking lot, people are going to think that we just got all this money and we're just going to go repave the parking lot. And he talked about a place where he was at in another city where another church did that and they had people leave because they said, you shouldn't be paving the parking lot every five years. You should be using it on mission work. And so a decision was made not to pave the parking lot at that time because it was bad, but it wasn't bad enough that we felt like we could justify it. With people, because we were worried about the image, people would think we had too much money to pave the parking lot. Same thing with air conditioning. You know, we can't we can't set the air conditioning at a certain temperature because people need to know that we're concerned about saving money when it comes to the overall building usage and and oh and we can't use the building for a, a funeral for someone who's not a member of the church. That was one I was at. I had a, a man actually led a movement to leave the church we were at. This is when I was a teenager. Uh, I was like 40 people, and one of his main arguments was you can't have funerals in the building or weddings if they're not members of the church. You just can't do that. That's wrong. And he was worried about the image of the church. What would, what would it look like if we just let anybody come in here and get married? What would it look like if just, if just anybody, if we just anybody that dies, we'll just let you have your family member's funeral here. 
well, he's not a Christian. He's probably going to hell. You know, I mean, what, what, where are we at with this idea of perfectionism so much that we can't even think maybe, maybe what we're doing is we're, we're so concerned about the image of other Christians that we're forgetting about the image to non-believers, the image of Jesus. When, when Jesus, let me ask you this. We talk about perfectionism and elitism. Don't you think Jesus crossed those bridges? Like, for instance, when um, the Pharisees invite him over and he goes to the meal and his disciples aren't doing the cleansing of their hands and things as they were instructed to do by the, by the religious movement. Don't you think Jesus encountered this when the woman in Simon's house came and started washing his feet with her hair? What do you think people thought when he didn't condemn the woman in John 8 for the sin of adultery? Or how do you think people felt about him having Matthew as a tax collector and one of the Gospels, the first one, by the way, in your New Testament, was written by a man who was loyal to the Roman government? I mean... <laughs> Don't you think Jesus encountered these things? I could give you hundreds of examples. I love the centurion, Roman centurion. He says, you know, I wish Israel would have this. I wish the Jews would have this kind of faith. I've never seen any faith like this. Not anywhere in Israel. You've got the woman caught in adultery, as I mentioned, John 8, John 4, woman at the well. You've got all kinds of examples of, of him touching people and, and reaching out to people that were undeserving by most standards. Jesus wasn't concerned about perfectionism when it came to his people. He was living right. He was making sure he stayed according to God's standard. But people didn't know him as this strict, ultra-conservative leader. They saw him as compassionate. Was he strict and conservative? Absolutely. But that's not what they saw him as because his image was different. It was not about being perfect, being perfect, being perfect, being perfect. His image is about loving people and sharing the good news with people. And then ultimately, he's got the agenda he has personally of what he's trying to do to live a perfect life. But he's still around people. And he was around people so much that he got nicknames. You know, he's a wine bibber. He's a glutton. He's, you know, this guy's, he must be an alcoholic because he goes to the bar all the time. No, Jesus is around people who drank. He went to the parties, even when the water's turned to wine. But we have an example of him where he's around his disciples and he's, he's abstaining from certain things. He's refraining from doing certain things, but he's around those people. He's, you know, if you knew who this woman was, Simon says, you wouldn't let her touch your feet. You know, you wouldn't let, she's a prostitute. You, oh my goodness, Jesus, what are you doing? Jesus was not about that perfectionism when it came to his people. He was the perfect one, but he, but in doing that, he didn't flaunt that perfectionism. And we, I think we've missed that in the church. We're, we're all about, oh, this is the place where you get it right. This is the place where we, we've, we're doing everything the right way. And we follow every single pattern in the New Testament church. And there's nothing they did that we didn't do. And, 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 and I understand we're trying to teach people the way of, the, of truth, but we, we need to do it a little more in love. I think our ego kind of gets in the way. And um, another one, too, is, is basically um, traditionalism is another one. You know, we, we, we're all about following what the traditions are. And as I said earlier, we, 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 we do think a lot about how our image is with other churches. We will, we're very afraid. I, I, had, I had a church one time and a man called me and he said, um, Hey, Brother Ray, this is, and he tells his name, what church he's at. He's like, are y'all still in fellowship with us? I was like, as far as I know, I mean, you're 
congregation's like 40 miles away. We, we, you know, we, I don't know what, 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 what's the, what's the issue? And he's like, well, we have had a meeting. You know, this is the last day of our gospel meeting and, and nobody from your church has visited. And I'm like, okay, you know, like I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I went to school two days this week. We had Wednesday night Bible study this week. Um, that was my only free night that week. And he said, well, we just were worried. Y'all were breaking fellowship with us. Nobody, nobody came. And we, we just, and so I had to cancel my plans for that night and go to that meeting. Of course, he had me lead the opening prayer. So everybody knew that our congregation was still in fellowship with them. 45 minutes away, they were worried about their image when it came to our church because we didn't support their, and that's the way we operate. We and if you don't think that's correct, let me tell you something. I I can prove to you. I would almost guarantee that rarely does a Sunday go by that it isn't referenced about what another church is doing up the road. There, in fact, I've heard it even where I am now, in the congregation where I work now. This happens all the time. Every church I've ever been at, the 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 comparison is what the other church is doing up the road, and it, it, whether it's you know, within our fellowship or outside of our fellowship, we compare ourselves to other churches. And I've heard hundreds of people who will come into a congregation and say, well, you know where I came from? They did it this way. They did it that way. Jesus didn't come to blend in with people. If I'm Jesus, Jesus when he was around people, he was not concerned, it doesn't seem to me anyway, with fitting the culture. And I'm talking about the religious culture of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He just simply was doing ministry. And I would dare say that we, we, are, we are way too concerned about what everybody else is doing. We spend way too much time thinking about what this church is doing and that church is doing. And even when it comes to denominational churches, it's like, well, did you hear about what they did for their vacation Bible school? Did you hear? Did you see their sign? Have you seen their new building? Did you see the bus they bought? Have you seen the way the preacher dresses? Have you seen their website? Did you see what they do on social media? Have you seen the side of their church van? You seen the seen the sign that they put on there? Did you hear about the the way they were distributing? There's a church here in, in Foley. I won't mention their name. Don't want to give them a lot of credit. They serve full breakfast every Sunday morning. A full breakfast. You can go in there and get biscuits and gravy and bacon and eggs. You think that's drawing people? Absolutely. I mean, absolutely, they're going to come at eight o'clock, eight thirty in the morning and get a nice warm breakfast every single Sunday. I mean that's that's going to draw people. I've I've visited churches before with friends and family members and and had people go, "Did you see that coffee bar? Oh my goodness. They serve Starbucks coffee. They had like they had like 16 different kinds of creamer. And the church lets them take their coffee cups into the auditorium. Did you see that? Have, have, did you see the signs and the banners they have up at their church? Do you see the size of their classrooms? Did you look at the youth room? Can you? Uh, did you see the PowerPoint presentation that the pre- Have you seen their pulpit? Have you seen the way their their classrooms are arranged? Have you seen where their auditoriums are arranged? Did you know they don't use pews? They use padded seats. Have you heard their PA system? It looks a whole lot better than ours. Did you know they have somebody full-time back there in that sound booth that does nothing but work with the sounds of air and so everything so it's all crisp and clear and 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 they and they have you seen their have you seen their YouTube 
page. I mean, they got a really nice camera. On and on and on. We are all about comparing. We're all about comparing ourselves to the church up the road. When I was growing up, there was a Baptist church down the road that had we they people at school would say that they had a, there was about 400 member church they'd say and 300 of them were teenagers. That's what people would say. There are 400 members in that church and 300 of them are teenagers. They're all about the youth, man. They got they built a gymnasium. They had a Super Bowl party. I had to go to one of the Super Bowl parties. I heard about these infamous Super Bowl parties. So I, I had to go to one once just to see because it they literally put it on a PowerPoint projector across the entire wall of their gymnasium. It was huge. It was like a, a hundred feet. <laughs> That's the way I remember it as a teenager. And they had a spread. Oh, my. They had chips and drinks and desserts and pizza and chicken wings. And I mean, oh, my, what a spread. And at halftime, they stopped everything, and they did a devotional. And I thought, man, as a teenager, I, I everybody wanted to be at that congregation. I knew for a fact that the preacher was preaching things that weren't true. And I knew that they were doing things that was not necessarily godly, and there were people in the youth group that were doing But I'll tell you the image, the overall image of that church was they were all about teenagers. And every other church in town, doesn't matter what religious persuasion they were, they tried to do the same thing. They try to do the exact same thing. They're trying to mimic. We and oh, in the Church of Christ, we don't we don't do that. We don't mimic we don't mimic other people. We don't we're not worried about this kind of stuff. We are listen, half the things that we do when it comes to the way we operate, we've borrowed from people from different religious faiths. Why do we why do we why do we do Bible class on Sunday morning? You know, it was called Bible school. Do you know who started that? Do you know what about Wednesday night? Why do we why do we do Wednesday night services? Why do we why did we do Sunday night services? Who started that? Why do we have an invitation at the end of every single lesson? You know, where do we come up with the term pulpit minister? I've always thought that was interesting. Pulpit minister. And the pulpit the thing you stand on? Why isn't it the lectern minister? Why is it the pulpit minister? He's the guy who stands. Why why isn't it the preaching minister? Why isn't the just minister? Why can't we use the term evangelist? There are so many different things, even within our fellowship, that we do or we don't do. We used to call them revivals. And then somebody said, you can't use revival. That's a denominational term. So we're going to call them gospel meetings. So we changed the terminology. So everybody, if you put revival on your sign, you're going to get three calls, four calls, five calls from area churches. Oh, what are you doing? What's the way you do? Revival is a term. You can't use that term. Do a lesson on fasting. Oh, no. Do a lesson on Jesus and how he washed the disciples' feet. Uh-oh, we're going to start a foot washing service. Everything we do, we're so worried about what everybody else is going to think about what we do. That and, and, and again, I understand we need to be concerned about doctrine. We need to concern ourselves with what the Bible teaches us. But I think a lot of this perfectionism is we, we're, we're, we're trying to operate out of fear and not out of faith. And the same thing's true in our Christian walk. We operate out of fear. We, we say, well, I just don't want to go to hell. I don't want to be lost. I want to, and so that's the way, that's why we serve Jesus. And so we, we, we really, that, that brand, that image passes on to the people that we convert and to people that are brought into the church. In the 
back in the 50s and the 60s and the early 70s when these movements were going on where people were being drawn to the church and getting back to their Bibles. And, I mean, there was this great movement, this terrific movement of people being drawn to become New Testament Christians. Why is that? Well, some of it was because they really wanted to get to know God, but other parts was because they were just scared. We we preached if you it's the go to hell gospel, as uh, an elder said at the church I was at. If you don't do this, you're going to be lost, and and that's not the image Jesus would expect from us. We've got to think about our influence more. That's the last thing, because this this idea of perfectionism and elitism and egotism and all that stuff, all these isms are they're killing us. We've become a distraction. We've made it about us. And we we shouldn't. It's Christ's church. It's his image. I'm just the person holding the mirror. I'm just the person trying to, to bear my little light in the world. There's only one real light of the world. And I think when we come together, we've got to start filling our lamps up with oil and going out. Now, I doesn't mean you go blind people with the light, but you certainly lead them to the creator of all light. We give all honor and glory and praise to him. We turn our eyes to Jesus. I love how Paul finishes that little section I read earlier when he says, you know, I'm just going to be happy that my work's done. It's not wasted. I finished my race. I've, I've won everything. You know, I've done everything I need to do. You do what you need to do. Don't cause distractions. Don't, don't, be, don't be blind in people. You know, you need, to, you need to be a person. We all need to be a people, a church of love and of compassion. Yes, stand for what's right. Yes, preach and teach the truth. But do it in love and do it by your example. People are more likely to appreciate it when you do it rather than when you say it. You know, just live just live your life right. And let's let's stop this idea of perfectionism. That's why people think we're a bunch of hypocrites, because they know we're not perfect. And we're not. Let's talk more about grace. Let's talk more about grace than about law. And let's let people be drawn to Jesus and not to doctrine. They'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. We'll be able to sit down and study together and and teach and preach and practice the truth. But making good decisions is a daily thing. It's not a Sunday thing. So let's live like that. Let's live and be free and loving and compassionate and merciful and gracious. And let's see what that, let's try a generation of people like that and see if there's going to be some reaping of some good fruit from those actions. I hope you have a great day and thank you so much for tuning in today's podcast. Thank you for tuning in to today's broadcast. Be sure to hit that subscribe button to get updates on original content each week. Follow us on social media at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr, TikTok, YouTube, and check out our website at rayreynoldsrap.com. Also, if you'd like to suggest a topic for an upcoming broadcast, or if you'd like to email me a question, or if you have a prayer request, you can send that to rayreynoldsrap at gmail.com. Have a great day and may the Lord bless you as you seek to live an authentic life in Christ Jesus.